This is a trigger warning from the legal department. Just reminding you that this shit is pretty heavy. And that's okay. Take a deep breath. Don't forget to hydrate. Wash your fucking hands. Sometimes the universe puts people on your path. <laughs> like a, a, in the most beautiful way. Jordana Zeldin is one of those humans for me. And she doesn't know any of this, by the way. I also am excited to disclose, or, you know, in conversation, whether this is a part of the public or the private, like the deeper aspects of the massive aha moment that was dealt to me because Jordana Zeldin, this beautiful, 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 smart, intelligent, kind, loving human being, did I say smart, was put into my path. The definition of aha moments, it's when we have a shift in our perspective, when something that we we thought previously was true becomes untrue for us. Generally, it comes with a little bit of friction, but not in the way that you're thinking. Most people think that kumbaya equals success in relationships, but that is fiction. And consult five dysfunctions of a team, right? That's not how the world works. The other aspect to the rareness of aha moments, interpersonally speaking, so between two people, is that almost always it, it comes down to a, a miscommunication based on interpretations around like identical words that just mean different things. When Mercy talked about in the episode of, of Justice and how we all have different definitions, like the, I, the same word means different things to different people. That's, that's just the way that it goes. In the face of said event, what most people do is exit stage left. Exhibit A, the Dewan Brown episode. Just leaving people where they're at. That is generally what happens. In the wake of that action, that most people take and do, they miss out on massive aha moments. And most unfortunately, deeper relationships. It takes two people to move past a speed bump. And I aspire to lean in to speed bumps, relationship speaking. Not aspire, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty... I do it often and it's not very common to find a human as evolved as Jordana in that she too leaned in as well and what you're experiencing is like two touch points after both of us leaning in that would have never happened in a manner that you know, let's say 95% of humanity approaches speed bumps, post speed bump. And Jordana is an exceptional human being that showed up. And that is a very rare thing. And for that, I am beyond grateful. 
And so big public thank you to Jordana Zelda. This episode will be the first experiment with a series of conversations that are tied to a similar theme with the specific objective of arriving at one of the solutions identified that Colin Mitchell describes somewhere near the end of episode one, Host in the Hot Seat. And I'll, I'll give you a hint. The first step at like how to hit the stride of create psychological safety on sales floors while still maintaining a degree of predictability on the revenue, which is massively important. And this has been really a big question mark. To be clear, this is also relevant for how to create psychological safety on buying teams. The gentleman that we refer to pretty consistently in the episode, who we end up naming at the end, his name is Greg Davidson. During his tenure, there was a 400% increase in revenue. And I believe we're talking about an 18 month period of time. And so that's all I'm gonna say about the episode. So if anybody's interested in understanding like how to do that, or at least a, a small aspect of how to do that, then listen, listen to the episode or a part of the episode or, or not. That's, that is beautiful too. Everyone has autonomy and choice and, and I celebrate choose your own adventure. What you're about to hear is another like mercy. I didn't edit this at all. And it wasn't because I was battling with, you know, overcoming my perfectionist ways. There was nothing to change, including the beginning banter prior to officially, you know, starting the episode. Well, that's not true. So Lola, my dog, had to go to the bathroom in the middle, which you'll hear. I uh, I did condense that, that wait period just to not, you know, torture everybody. But anyway, other than that, it hasn't been touched at all. One last thing, John Mahan, I absolutely know you. I'm terribly sorry for the for the momentary lapse john mayhem big time i'm excited about this episode and i am proud to call jordana not just a an acquaintance or a you know a smart strategic human that i enjoy bantering with but you know rapidly becoming a friend and with that jordana zeldin Have you listened to any of the episodes? Yes. Just so I, like, do you know what you're getting into, Jordana? That's where I'm going with this question. So yes, I've so I haven't finished the Jeff Bajoric one. I started listening to the Rep View this morning. So I'm like kind of, ha- I'm probably a quarter way through Rep View. I'm probably halfway through Jeff's. And I have to say, like the music, the vibe, it it's like, it just feels like anything goes in the best way. So um, uh, I'm down. Do yeah. you have... You have like some kind of secret <laughs> subversive plan. No, I do. Well, it's funny. I have a couple of plans for okay. this conversation. However, yeah, what do they say about the best laid plans? Like every time I try to create a plan, like it just goes out the window anyway. So I'm I I'm spending less time creating them, but also the power of conversation. What I'm learning is that it's you know, your plan 
and your ideas and who you are and where you're coming into this is equally as important and relevant. And so even if I did have a plan, it would only consist of like, I only get half the vote or one vote and there are two votes. Um, yeah. All right. Let me, let me get my notebook and I want to, okay. there's a couple things. I'm just pulling it over here. Hold on one second. Okay. Is that friggin' culture code? Amy, it's on my desk. Why do you know that? I don't, but I've been reading so, me at all. So <clears throat> full disclosure, I didn't reread the coaching habit, but I can talk a little bit about it. Culture code. I read over a year ago. It fucking blew my mind. And I just, just last week dove back in. That is crazy. It's, it's so funny that you say that because this is, you mentioned oh. about the plan, about the plan. Um, the culture was a part of the plan for this conversation. And okay, so with that, like, let's just pretend, I'm probably going to just let the beginning play okay. as is, but like yeah. Jordana, well, you know what, I guess I forgot to tell you, we, we haven't talked about who my target audience is. It's the oh, yeah. experienced seller. Right. So I think of, I see like the individual contributor um, yeah. and there tends to be, in my opinion, a lot of content out there for those just getting started in the profession, but not as much for, um, you know, someone that's maybe a little bit further along in their journey. So that's kind of the, the individual listener that I would, you know, pull up in your mind as we're speaking. Obviously, actionable information, practical, how do we take these theoretical or, or um, macro level themes that we're going to talk about and how can we convert that into, you know, well, here's what to do next, yeah. right? So yeah. I, 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 at first I was like, well, let's come up with like a subtle, um, like a, like a, a signal to say, okay, how can we make that? Like, if you share something and it's like, I, I want to dig into that, but there's going to be nothing subtle about me saying, okay, Jordana, that was fantastic. How does that, how can our listeners apply that yes, you know, tomorrow? Yeah. So I'll, I, there's, there will be nothing subtle about the prompt. Um, if, if something comes up, I am going to set the timer for 45 minutes, um, for when we get started. And if there's anything afterwards, right, that we share, that we talk about where maybe upon deeper thought, like you feel uncomfortable about it, right? I can always go back and edit. And, you know, so in, in this moment, I, I guess what I'm trying to say, I don't want you to worry about, and I don't think this is really relates to you at all, but I don't want you to worry about saying anything, um, everything is changeable, right? I can go back and take it oh, out okay. afterwards. So, yeah, okay, good. I didn't think you were anyway. I'm just, do you have any other questions? No, I don't. I'm, I'm excited and I don't have any other questions. Okay, good. So with that, <laughs> oh, you know what? One last question. Is there anything that you want me to reference by way of things that you're working on other than spring training or, um, that you, you know, that you want me to, to discuss or to mention. When does it either. come out? So when I'm you, this, this will probably come out in the next week, right? So this, okay. this one's going with a fast turnaround. So June, well, so June 9th is this empathy-based prospecting workshop that I'm 
running. I'm doing it DTC this time. Um, and I'm, I just started, you know, John Mahan, you probably know him. He's yes, you definitely do. He's the founder of the anti, anti-racism coalition. He's a seller who's very, who's been very vocal about his journey as a white man, kind of grappling with and figuring out what it, what systematic racism is and what to do about it. He's active in Rev Genius. He's no, John Mayhem. No, no, I feel like, okay. Well, anyway, he, he's someone who I've done some coaching work with and he and I, uh, he's been running these really interesting practice sessions at security scorecard at his company. And, um, he and I are just starting. So I don't know if we can announce it is what I'm saying, but he and I are just starting this initiative called the practice lab for sellers to drop in and, and in a very specific way, practice a specific skill, but like we haven't even, you know, it's not even that final. I just did the logo, like, you know, so I don't even know if we can talk about it. Maybe. I can't believe So they, so culture and human teams were the two things that I had made a note of. And then the third Jordana was practice and have, Okay. What's the guy's name? What's his name? Jonathan Mahan. It was cool. I dropped into one of these sessions that he, cause, cause practice was a, a very integral part of how we did things at sales gym and was going to be my, one of my core ways of operating when I found it for spring training. And then I could have moved away from it and now I'm coming back to it. And so anyway, but culture, I just can't believe it. Like I've literally been cons- reconsuming this book. Be- anyway. Oh, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to dig into this. Okay. So um, and then the name of it, you said the labs, what was it? It's going to be called the practice lab, The practice but lab. I don't know if I can talk about it. Cause like we haven't, you know, we're still on the ID eating. Well, it, so we could put a caveat on how that it's still an ID eating and coming soon. Yeah. Okay. So with that, Jordana Zeldin, is that, that's the right way to pronounce it, right? Correct. Jordana Zeldin, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, even though we don't have a hotline yet. Um, it's, I'm excited for this conversation. I'm excited that you have agreed to be here and I'm excited that our listeners, um, whether or not they've been exposed to you or your content are, you know, they're just in for a treat in my opinion. So with that, thank you for making the time for us and for, you know, wherever the hell this conversation is going to go. Thank Thank you. Thank you for having me. Ah, so I'm almost like you asked at the beginning when we hopped on this call, if I had a plan and as, as, as you know, you know, I, I tend to try to have plans, but I'm getting better at like letting go. I'm curious, do you have a plan for this conversation? Oh, that is a great question. I have no plan. I don't really have like an agenda beyond having a really interesting and thought-provoking conversation around things that I know you and I both care very deeply about, namely selling like a human being. (laughs) And it seems as we've just established that both of us are very curious and interested in, interested in culture and, and what it means to have a thriving culture, sales culture specifically, I imagine, since this is the revenue reel, I'm, I'm excited to talk about that too. 
<sighs> Listeners, I was I was moving my notebook um, and and two <laughs> books that I had had I just want within arm's reach for this conversation. The first was the coaching habit, and which was one of the things that Jordana and I had spoken about prior to this like the scheduling of this, right? That this could be something that we speak about, right? Coaching, which is a, a topic that we're both very passionate about. And then the second was the the culture code by Daniel Coyle, which had not been discussed prior to this moment. And as I was pulling it over, Jordana, of course, lifted up her own copy of the culture code, which was in arm's reach. And this is the second time that this happened, Jordana, and two calls, right? Remember Nick's that video? Is, You'd, you you held up the coaching habit too, right there as I was giving that feedback on the demo. Wow. I don't think that's two for two, my friend, two for two. And that was the last time we saw was, each other yeah, on a video call. So. Yeah, yeah. Like with the, with the same books front of mind. And, yeah. you know, I, I don't think, so with that, I was I visited the, the website right spring training before this conversation yeah. and it has it looks beautiful right and all the human faces just are absolutely gorgeous I love the um, social proof right the references the referrals of what people are saying just absolutely looks beautiful listeners link will be in the show notes <sighs> but I must say the line that struck me the most was this idea, it's right up top, and you reference human teams. Mm. And it's where my, so I've been thinking a lot about culture, and I've been thinking a lot about psychological safety, and how can we hit psychological safety on sales floors while still maintaining a degree of control on the revenue? And I mean, I'm not shy about this. I think that most most of us operate in pretty toxic work environments for a variety of reasons, especially on sales floors. And I, I think it's starting to shift, right? Starting with conversations that are starting and continuing. And I think, Jordana, you're a big part of that. However, we've got a, lo a long way to go. And when I think about selling as a human being, Being treated like a human being is a good place to start, right? It's like when, if you want your, your customers to have a better experience, treat your employees better because they're the ones that are the, the faces of the company. And I, I haven't figured out or thought of a way to, like, to do that without treating your employees, treating the sellers as the opposite of cogs on the, on on a, you know, in an industrial factory. And I, you know, I've come to a couple of aha moments, but before I go into them, Jordana, like, what is it about culture that, that, what is it that brought you back to Daniel Coyle's culture code? What was it that drove you to put human teams in addition to human um, selling, like on your website? Like, how did you arrive at this idea of, culture as being an important part of, you know, moving into the future into a better way of operating together? Yeah, that that's a really good question. So I have spent the last year or so focusing on sales skills, right? And thinking a lot about how we talk about and how we teach and how we get sellers to build awareness of sales skills through the lens of what they intuitively know human beings fundamental 
fundamentally want and need in relationship. And I've been in this moment, you know, I'm about a year into my consultancy and I want to make sure that what I'm building for myself and for the world is really aligned with what I feel is important and what is deeply interesting to me. And I think the sales skills piece I'm starting to realize is just one piece of a much more kind of holistic ecosystem of selling. And when I was a seller on a B2B sales team at, at the venture-backed uh, startup artsy.net, I was on a sales team that had a pretty, eh, you know, uninspired culture. Then we brought in a seasoned head of sales and everything culturally shifted and it became this like dynamic, um, um, kind of almost like euphoric place of like learning and pushing ourselves and winning and and allowing ourselves to show up in our selling conversation in a way that we hadn't before and laughing and screwing up. And we, we developed this coaching culture and it was like something profound happened under the leadership of, of this guy. And then when he moved on from the company a year and a half later, it was as though he had never been there. And I was, and you know, and our, and our sales numbers kind of fell and and our connectedness to our work was was less than it had been in what we knew at the time was a kind of golden age. So I think about myself as a seller, not just thriving in a moment because I had the sales skills, but be, because I had the sales culture and psychological safety, which I literally wrote on a piece of paper in preparation for this call, Amy, was a very, very big part, I think, of why it felt the way it did and and why we performed the way we did. And at the time I had shepherded our sales team through a kind of values definition process, like a team values process. And I'm finding, long story short, I realize this is a kind of a long answer. I'm finding- No, you take your, lo- you take your damn time on- Okay. Like, we're, we're, <laughs> we are a judgment-free zone, a tangent-free zone, and I'm working on stronger, like getting to the fucking point. Okay, like, good. You know, everybody on their learning curve is, okay. is welcome. Well, in coaching, they call it like bottom lining sometimes. They're like, all right, come on, get to the bottom line. So anyway, but the bottom line is that that was such a curious and thrivey time, like in the life of me as a seller and in the life of our sales team. And I'm finding that as I've been focusing on these individual sales skills, I'm very interested in kind of zooming out and wrapping my arms and brain and heart around this, this question of culture so that a part of my work can be to not only equip sales teams with with skills, but but help leaders and teams develop the kind of culture in which not only kind of skills can thrive, but their human <laughs> human sellers can thrive as sellers and people. Okay, so if you could hear on my nice fancy blue yeti microphone, the dog flipping, fucking crying right now. Um, I've I got to let her out, so I'm going to step okay. away for a second because okay. she's not going to stop crying, and it's only going to get louder. I'm to give you a, just a slight context, context into where I'm going to go with the next question is what have you figured out? Hmm. About, and then about how to cultivate psychological safety, how to cultivate human teams, maybe from the, like, from the outside, well, obviously spring training is from the outside, but that's where we're going, right? Because practical, right? How 
to take these very tough and theoretical concepts and put them into action. Yeah. Um, all right. Hold that thought. Okay. Did she go to the bathroom? No. Did she like <laughs> refuse to join me in the other room? Cause she knew I was going to close the door and lock her in there. Like she's getting smart to my ways. Where is she? <sighs> she, she, oh, she took okay. a treat. She's behind the thing. Um, okay. So what have I figured out? Yeah. About psychological safety since she started thinking about it. Like what so, I, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Like in your projects. And then also I'm interested in like how, the aha moments have, have come to you. And then, then we'll compare notes if it, if it's called for, but yeah. How, what have you figured okay. out? So full disclosure, it's been about three weeks that I've been thinking, this is really an important part of what I want to be doing. So I don't yet have a set program, a set set of con consulting offerings around this cultural piece, but there are a few concepts that around psychological safety that I've been exploring in the skills realm, because I actually think as sellers, we've got to create psychological safety with our buyers, which we don't talk about at all. Um, and those are applicable. A lot of those are applicable to the broader cultural realm. And I've also been thinking a lot, and we can talk concretely about what those are. And I've also been thinking about and reflecting on what was it this, that this sales leader did you know, over those years that developed the kind of psychological safety that is, you know, vital for the kind of thrivingness that we all experienced. So I say all of that to say that there, there are, I don't have any like major epiphanies yet, but I'm very much in the kind of ex exploratory research and thinking and ideating stage around this. Well, I happen to, I like great choice with going back to Daniel Coyle, because I think there's a lot of insights to be gained there. Um, so it's interesting when you said about the sales leader, I'm very curious about why this guy left rc.net. Um, to start his own baby goods company. Yeah. Baby goods. Okay. So, cause there's an implication there about like tenure of, of sales leader. Um, you know, I think the average tenure in tech sales is like 14, 12, 14 months. It's like, there's a lot of turnover. And so it's very difficult to create and sustain a culture in the, that, environment, right? So right off the bat, part of the, part of the problem. The, but the other part is that like, it's, I, I equate having experienced a team like that, a leader like that, a culture like that is taking the red pill in that you can never unlearn it. Once you know what it feels like, mm. everything that's not that is a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think about some of like the core and, chain. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. No, the question there is how have you, I mean, that's my experience. Like, and so what was that identical for you? And then yeah. if so, like, how do you come to terms with that? And then also like, how do we wake up in the morning and be okay about giving people red pills knowing that they too will then, um, you know, just have this, this knowledge 
about workplaces and bosses versus leaders and a, a, a deep sadness when not there. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm like projecting my own experiences, but I, I didn't mean to take away from where the natural progression of where you were going to take those, those sentiments. But I mean, for our, our listeners and also for me, Jordana, like what did you do with that insight once you had the Red Pull experience? Okay. So a couple thoughts. First of all, when he left, it was like slogging through mud. Like it was as though all of the sheen and all the excitement and all of the the kind of energy that I was feeling from my work dissipated. So yes, it was, it was hard after he left. Um, you know, when I think about concretely, cause I know we want to talk tactically about some of the things that might have accounted for the cultural shift that we experienced under his leadership and what might've accounted or what, what I think did account for, for a big part of the psychological safety we felt was one very small and important change. So Prior to his coming to our team, um, we all used to take our pitch calls in private phone booths. Um, no one heard each other. No one had the experience of learning from each other. No one had the experience of screwing up in front of each other, of offering feedback on the fly, of making ourselves vulnerable. And vulnerability is a huge part of psychological safety, of course. Um, to be heard in our victories and in our losses by our teammates. And the first, that, that's the first major change I think that he enacted. We all pitched in front of each other out loud in the sales pit. And that changed everything in a way because, you know, as we were having these conversations with prospects, or following our conversation with prospects, he would invariably like shout out like, Jordana, I love that. But one thing, like try this next time. Or, And so all of a sudden, it was almost like we were in this lab, right? Where we were exposed to the way that we individually sold. We were exposed to his feedback. In real had, time. In real time. That everyone else could hear. It wasn't like everyone, I'm listening to a conversation no. a week from now, two weeks from now, three weeks from now as the co as the you know boss. And you know, my team's already iterated on that 10 times over since no. by the time I get around to listening. In real time out loud. And part of what that did, I mean, when I think about like when I when I slow down my brain and think about all right, like what psychologically and emotionally is happening here. So there's like an inherent vulnerability of taking a selling call out loud in front of your peers, right? When that hadn't been done before. Then there's this vulnerability, but he, I mean, he shared his feedback with such love, but this vulnerability of being publicly critiqued <laughs> in front of your peers regularly, regularly. But what was also happening was this incredible opportunity to learn from his feedback, his public feedback, about what to listen for and how to provide feedback yourself. So what happened, and it's really on his sales team that coaching Jordana was kind of born, was that we all started like to listen at a, at a, on a couple of levels to what our peers were doing. And one of those levels was critically in about areas for improvement and started offering feedback on the fly. So the, the, you know, the coaching, the quote unquote coaching wasn't coming from one singular point on the team. It was coming from everyone at all moments. 
You know, it's funny because one of the first things that I do when I start with an organization in a sales enablement capacity, or even how I've started this as a seller, is create a standing peer-to-peer meeting. And one of the, it's funny, like when I first bring this up, almost always, the idea is like, we're going to cross-pollinate our wins, right? That's what I hear back at the start of creating this standing meeting. And I've had to incorporate or reply or respond in the face of that every single time with, it is not just, it is our wins and sharing our wins and cross-pollinating our wins so we can all iterate quickly and scale out what's working, right? By way of delivering more value or a different type of value to our, not just buyers, but buying teams. But it's also about sharing our losses, our mistakes. And like, and it's, we, we are so, like avoiding isn't the right word. It's so counterintuitive, but as someone that too, right, focuses deeply, deeply on skill development, like we Jordana, do not learn from our wins. And I know you and I have spoken about this. We learn so much more from our mistakes. And when what I heard in what you shared about this leader is that the idea, he created a mistake-friendly mm. environment yeah. and where, where there's less fear and shame associated with making mistakes so much so that we're going to take, we're going to, we're going to bring our sales calls back onto like at the sales floor, right? It's not going to be in a private booth somewhere. But what I also realized what, or what I took away from that story is that there's a contagious aspect to vulnerability, right? And so when you're as a seller experiencing a vulnerable state where, (laughs) excuse me, I'm even going to have this call in front of my peers and my boss or our VP. So boss is boss. Like I'm going to bring that level of vulnerability into my call now with my buyers. And just like Jeff and I spoke about on the, on the Jeff Bajork does discovery. It's not just about being vulnerable and showing up it's about being vulnerable first. Yes. And with a complete stranger. And that is hard to do. And so, but by creating that environment, your sales leader that you described it, like he made all the heavy lifting associated with all of those things, hiding the mistakes, like all of that is subconsciously then brought into the interactions, the very human interactions with your buyers. Yes. And it's a part of the contributing vulnerability loop mm-hmm. that continues to grow. Would you agree? A hundred bazillion percent. Yeah, absolutely. Now, why is that so hard? What, why is that not happening on most sales floors? Well, because sales wins are how sales teams are evaluated. Well, but what you and I are talking about contributes to more wins. It contributes to a higher win rate as the collective. It contributes to more, less waste. It contributes to, I'm sure, more engaged buyers through the process, therefore better implementations. No question. 
So still look, I mean, failure, falling flat on your face is really uncomfortable. And if there isn't, and this is why I can't in good faith, you know, be a, someone who's in the, in the sales coaching and, and training and, and, you know, culture space, if we're not paying attention to that, but if you do not have an environment where it feels safe to fail and fall flat on your face, then it's not going to happen or it's not going to happen publicly, or you're going to try to avoid it and you're going to try to hide it. And you are inadvertently depriving yourself and your team of rapid progress. I mean, what's, so it's funny. We talk about Daniel, no, go ahead. What were you going to say? It's not even about feeling like if you are winning, if you are not putting revenue on the board, you lose your job, right? We do not differentiate between effort, right? When I think pit plans, right? I one of the, I have, I'm not sure if you and I have spoken about this. I, I measure um, a lot of things like learning indicators from a sales enablement perspective. So I, I and I do this for in, in G Suite or in Google Workspaces, it's called now. Um, the activity dashboard is a way to look at how often and how frequently and how soon sellers access the, what I call style guides, which are playbooks, right? And so again, I, I, and I also know the actions that a human being takes when they want to learn something, right? When they're trying, we don't distinguish between those two things when it comes to PIP plans performance, right? I don't even remember what the PIP stands for, but PIP plans. And that's a scary thing as a seller in psychological safety, right? So it's not even about, I don't feel safe. It's like, if I am not winning by way of producing revenue, as much as I'm supposed to on a quarterly basis, I lose my job. Sure. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that we can very simply and easily shift a little bit is to differentiate between those that are applying effort to change and get better and grow as a seller and a revenue producer and a human versus you know, just kind of lump it all together, not producing results equals fired, right? Right off the bat, easy one. However, I, I don't know. I, I think that's the end of the thought. It's just, it's not even about be feeling psychological safe. It is not, you're not safe if you're not producing wins. Hard stop. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, and I've not spent a lot of time in, you know, big companies outside of the sales space, but I don't think that vulnerability is something until very recently that anyone was talking about in, in business and in corporate life. So I think that, you know, when we think about professionalism or when we think about, yeah, and even this, the idea of, you know, quote unquote professionalism somehow seems a little bit tired. And I think there's a move towards informality over formality and some of the things that we all grew up thinking like we need, we need it to be a certain way in order to be, you know, really in business. I think all, a lot of those things are falling away, but I don't think that celebrating failure or welcoming failure as an essential stop on the way towards development and learning is something that the business, you know, community at large has been thinking about maybe until very recently, or maybe in almost in only the most enlightened circles. I mean, the business community hasn't been thinking about humanity. Well, exactly, very, exactly. You know, and so like, how do you, it's like chicken or the egg. And I, I would, I want to get down with, we're moving in the right direction. And then I see and feel for those that are looking at returning to the office and having a, an organization or a company having broken promises about remote 
policies, right? Work from home or hybrid um, work scenarios and all the progress that it felt like that we made over the, the past couple of months just seems to have maybe we've taken a couple of steps back, but I, I could be wrong there, but I'm going to pivot us to here for a second, yeah. because I think yeah. one of the things that you said, or one of the things that you're working on is this idea of practice. Yeah. And as it relates to culture and I hadn't thought about that. Right. So I'm a big, I'm a big believer in practice, not just practice, but deep practice as it relates to skill development, as it relates to team performance. Right. And I think that selling is a team sport, just like I think that buying is a team Same. sport. Yeah. Um, and when I think about assessing sales cultures, I encourage people often to ask about the collective win rate on the team, right? Because if I've got, if I'm operating on a sales floor where we're where our win rate for inbound leads is like under 10%, like a place where, you know, like these are real things, then you're, you're essentially operating on a team that loses 90% of the time. Right. Right. which is an impact to psychological safety. It's an impact to coaching. It's an, I mean, everything's connected. When you're on a team that practices together, that is a place for a coach that knows how to coach, not just individuals, but coach a fucking team, which mm -hmm. is also a thing. Practice then becomes a form of driving connection. Yes. And I have like that. I think it's perfect practice prevents poor performance. Perfect practice prevents poor performance. I'm in like a nut job about practicing and a nut job about practicing with others. And I don't see, I've never seen it written anywhere else, Jordana. So I'm, I'm, I'm both ecstatic that it's you and also insanely curious. Like, how did you come to this point to understand that practice, deep practice is a function of team and culture. And can you like just maybe yeah, share a little bit of backstory yes. there and then how, what that looks like for you um, and your clients, you know, as we move into the future? Yes. So what's interesting is that the idea of, pra I mean, we practiced a little bit under, under the sales leader at Artsy, but it was when I moved to uh, the coaching and coaching and, and training organization sales gym, where I worked as a sales coach where I really got on board with this idea of practice and their entire approach, their entire methodology, their whole competitive advantage was rooted in the idea that they take their inspiration from how sports teams, pra you know, practice their, their skills, be it soccer or tennis or whatever it is. Um, and that learning happens through a, not just repetition, but as you say, a kind of deep and deliberate, deliberate practice where you're targeting specific skills and doubling back and making mistakes and, and improving and making minor tweaks en route to mastery. But the cultural piece came onto my radar because the team at Sales Gym, even though we were all remote, we had never met, was one of the most cohesive teams I had ever had the privilege of working on. And we practiced what Fucking we preached. Fucking red pills. Red yeah. Pills. <laughs> well, it was actually amazing to go from like artsy, right, to sales gym. So I've, I've been fortunate, you know, fortunate kind of from a, from a cultural perspective. But, you know, even though we were all remote, we had never met. We practiced what we preach, no pun intended. I mean, we at our team meetings got vulnerable because vulnerability is inherent in the practice process because you are going to fuck up. You're going to screw up. You're going to experiment. You're going to fall flat on your face and your team is there to receive you. We did that. 
And I got really curious about the correlation between the kind of practice we were doing, the practice that we were encouraging and and teaching in our clients. And I'm talking about like clients of the Fortune 100 and the way it felt to be on that team. And then I independently started thinking, well, what, like, what emotionally and psychologically is happening in practice? Practice is vulnerability. Practice is risk-taking. Practice is experimentation. Practice is openness to learning. Practice is exchanging feedback. Practice, like all of these things that so many of these like growth stage startups who are, you know, rooted in mission and, and vision and values. These are the values that these companies aspire to embody. And they're all happening in practice. So in some ways, practice becomes this kind of microcosm for some of these values to play themselves out. Now, there's a bit of a question, do you need a psychologically safe environment in order to practice well in this way? Or does practice have the ability to kind of spill out into, you know, your broader culture and ultimately kind of impact the scale of, you know, vulnerability and risk taking even outside the practice space? And my my hypothesis and this hasn't really been thoroughly tested yet, but I believe that even in absence of a predominantly psychologically safe sales culture, if you can create moments of psych of you know a kind of container of psychological safety within the practice space, that that has broader cultural ramifications outside of practice. It's so funny what you just so all the the adjectives that you used is it adjective adverb I don't know don't call me know. um uh, yeah well mm, <laughs> where's Grammarly when you need it I. There, I wouldn't describe, I, I wouldn't use one of those words to define practice or my relationship with practice. Like practice for me, and not that's a good or bad thing, just like a highly Tell me more. thing. Yeah. It is, we are, no one is perfect their first go, right? It, there, when I think of mastery and, and that 10,000 hour count, like there's a period of, working up to good, great, whatever, that requires being bad. And I think of um, the competency quadrant, right? So unconscious incompetence, right? Ignorance is bliss, conscious incompetence. When I'm going through conscious incompetence, like I'd rather do that one in a practice setting. I'd rather do that in one by myself first and then it with with peers but it's versus just like dive right into that first discovery call or demo and you know have those very predictable mistakes be made in with a real buyer right so for me it's almost like a kindness to the buyer that i'm going to get out the kinks Prior to, I think practice as it relates to teams, right? And sports, which you can say the same for music. You can say the same for any kind of public speaking, right? But with teams in particular, there's a practice in the way that we work together, right? And how to communicate non-verbally. And so all those things that it's just a, a preliminary step to results that most people skip over. Um, I think practice is a way to experience yourself, right? It's, it's very easy to half-ask it in practice, but 
again, it's that perfect practice prevents poor performance. So it's learning how to give it your all in a, in a setting where it's easy to not give it your all because mm. it's not real. And so like all of these things are how I interpret and define practice. But at the end of the day, it's a form of driving connection. It's one, it's better understanding myself. It is giving me more confidence in that I've earned the right to get the great results in that sales call because I've put in the hours. I've earned the right to... feel less scared because I've put it and I'm, I do feel less scared because I've put in the hours. And so these are all, I guess, byproducts of leaning into practice hard, but I think what's missing, I think, as it relates to sales floors is that I, I, I mean, you know how it goes. I don't see many sales leaders or sales bosses that are great coaches, not just performance coaches, but like development coaches, right? Developing the human being for the sake of developing the human being, not to drive a particular outcome like revenue, because that's important. However, development coaching, it's, you get both, right? You get a better human being and more revenue consistently delivered. Um, so it's not zero sum, but then you can t- even take that a step further. And I don't, learning how to coach an individual is a precursor to learning how to coach a team. As an industry, we don't have a lot of uh, sales bosses that know how to coach individuals like really well, just like we don't have many ICs that have experienced true coaching. Mm. Um, And so we don't, they're still in blue pill land. But then the next step is right. Coaching a team of people like what you described that, that first sales leader that, you know, brought all the sales calls onto a group floor, like giving feedback in real time to one another. So that one, it destigmatizes the sting Mm -hmm. maybe of feeling the feedback in a one-on-one setting, right? Okay. It's not, I'm not alone. The intent is here, but also look at the positive results that come came when that person incorporated said feedback, you know, so there's all these things, but so practice and, and coaching and team and culture is also there's a skill side from the, on the leadership angle that is also big time missing. And so I'm going to use that. Do you have any final thoughts on that? But I am going to connect the bridge to one of the things that I've found and identified as, as a way to get there and drive so, this. Yeah. But I, I want to hear your he- thoughts I before we transition. Yeah. Just so I understand, you said when you think of practice, you don't, you don't think of any of the words that I mentioned, but I'm, which were like risk-taking, vulnerability, openness to learning. Tell me, because what, what you shared with me just now, I am totally on board with. Where do you see the difference? I think it was me. I didn't, I don't remember risk-taking. So maybe I glossed over that one. So if that one was in there, I apologize, but it was, it was all the vulnerability. Um, I, you know, I didn't write Fail- them down. I wish that's I did. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. Failure, right. Falling on your face, experimentation, vulnerability, risk-taking, openness to learning, openness to helping someone else grow. In my mind, all of those are vital for this kind of connectedness that you're talking about. And I think that's one of the reasons to, you know, to my mind that practice can, you know, when done well in a safe space has the potential to um, significant culture. Yeah. Well, maybe like when I go back and do and listen and edit, like maybe. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's funny. But, I'm working on, so I'm going to share what I'm working on and, and how it kind of connects, but it's, yeah. I'm literally building like facilitation guides around storytelling and learning how to listen is step one to even sharing stories or, um, but yeah, so I'm talking to myself, right? Amy, do a better job at listening, jackass. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> see, no one's perfect. Oh my goodness. Uh, you know, it's, when I think about why the issues that are preventing us from getting there as a tech sales team and tech sales floors, I think Jeff, again, Bajork in that discovery episode, which I'm, I'm mentioning because you, you had said that you had listened to that one. Everybody's in such a rush. When we're chasing after unicorn status, like 40X growth in a very short period of time, we don't have time to practice. We don't have time to kind of go through these very, or they're not celebrated, or we want them in like off hours, right? Everything, every, all of the hours spent on the clock, right? Should be selling time and practice is not one of those things. And so I, I kind of, maybe that's a reason why it's pushed off to the periphery or not embraced, right? It's that rush to, immediate gains. It's that rush to grow so quickly and so rapidly that it yep. not just impedes the connection that we have with our buyers, but with one another. Yeah. Um, okay. So have you heard about take care yet? Have you seen anything about this? No. What is this? Oh my goodness. So it launches today, Jordana. Um, is it yours? I know it's not mine, but I've been, it's what I've been working on. Uh, are you in front of your computer? Yeah. yeah, yeah so course, type yeah. in take no. and then it's care C R or excuse me, C uh, four, right? The num the, the number four R E dot com. Take care now or take care dot com. Take care dot com. Okay. So T A K E C four R E. Yeah. Storytelling stories, normalizing the journey, mm. practice, culture peer-to-peer -peer connection. Cool. Just like there's a vulnerability. So this is Alyssa Hart, Mercy Lee Bell, um, introductions from Andy Paul. And I've spent the past week listening to these stories, Jordana, and almost keeping like an audio diary of like how I listened to this. And I'm already changed as a human being. Like I still don't even have words to talk about it, but I was brought in from the like learning perspective, adult learning perspective and facilitating, like how do we use stories mm. to drive connection with peers and in workplaces? And when I think about striking the balance between psychological safety and, and, you know, maintaining a degree of control on the revenue, which is important and, and not creating a world where we have to wait for the sales bosses to change, right? How can we do this and create better work environments now while things are still shifting? Right. I think of the importance of the relationship in the, with the peers. 
and vulnerability, right? Which is a precursor to trust and stories, right? These are things that I mean, I'm still starting to unravel. I've certainly had many aha moments at this point, but, and it certainly relates to selling, right? Because being able to be vulnerable first, using stories and using journeys together, right? That certainly makes us more human in the way that we engage buyers. Mm-hmm. But this is a a place in a way that I see as a, as a way to drive psychological safety on sales floors Mm -hmm. through our own storytelling through, but even just listening to the experiences of others, Mm -hmm. not the polished ones, not the ones with an agenda, not the ones, right. Think of webinars, right. And, or like, especially around wellness, right. The messy the the flawed the human aspect of who i am of who you are the mistakes that we make this is what makes us human this is what makes the interpersonal connections that we have more rich in whatever context and this is what will also make the collective the community environment that we are all in on the job right this is this is the answer too And again, what is such a beautiful, what is so beautiful about what Mercy and Alyssa have done and and these stories, and now, you know, me kind of working to unravel like with stories as the building block of connection of human, human experiences. How can we use these stories to create more safety within ourselves, around us, and then up almost in a group grassroots capacity. And so literally this is what I'm testing on. This is what I'm working on, but I've, I've spent the past week listening to these stories for Donna. And I guess the long winded way to say is that we all have trauma. We all have had hard things and they're these arbitrary differences or the very real differences, black, white, male, female, heterosexual, bisexual, homosexual, transgender, there is so much more that connects us than that separates us. And, and we're so much stronger together. And so when we're able to share our, our flaws freely, when we're able to normalize the journey, this is what, what grows human connection um, at scale. And again, still working on it, still figuring it out, but stories and sharing, um, that, that is one little thing that, that I did arrive at when it comes to Mm. culture and psychological safety and making sales floors better, even in the short term compliments of Mercy Lee Bell and Alyssa Hart and take care. That makes so much sense. It's, it's funny what you were saying. I I pulled up this, um, are we allowed to swear here? I guess. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah, I pulled up this quote from, do you know that podcast, Dak Shepard, Armchair Expert? Yeah, you know, I haven't listened to it yet, but I, he's on okay. all the, the top lists. Yeah, so I just, this is a quote I wrote down. I think I read it in an article. And this, is, and this really speaks to what you're saying. It says, evolutionarily and culturally, we live in a manner that's so different from how we were designed to live. 
We used to live in groups of a hundred people and the illusion of perfection couldn't possibly be maintained. You saw people shit at the side on the side of your house. You heard your aunt and uncle having sex in the next hut over. Now we live in very private ways and we all think that everyone else has this figured out. It's nonsense. Nobody has it figured out. And listeners, I don't have shit figured out. Like you heard in the intro, outro, like, but it's, you're spot on, Jordana. And I, Thank you for reading that so beautifully. Yeah, the messiness. That's that's it's the messiness. <sighs> why is why are we so so this there's two questions. I know you have a hard stop at two. And I want to ask the final question here, which is, you know, one piece of advice about uncomfortable conversations for our listeners. But why do you think we are so inclined in our workspaces on Salesforce or even whatever version I'm, you know, skewing towards workspace, but why are we so inclined to hide the messy? Why are we so inclined to not allow messy onto into our work cultures? How about that? Let's do that one. Yeah. I mean, so, uh, part of it, and I think this is changing and I even feel in some way like with COVID and everyone at home and the shared, the shared messy experience of the last year and people making do by setting up their offices and their bathrooms or whatever, I have felt a shift in human connection here on, you know, online amidst all of this. But I mean, look, we've been told for our whole lives that that stuff doesn't belong in the professional space, that it is quote unquote unprofessional. And this is a conversation for another podcast, but as I've shared with you, I spent a good part or the the first part of my life in sales hiding who I was because I thought that I needed to, to be a more polished person who spoke differently and and res- responded differently in relationship than I really do. And another thing that the sales leader did was encourage me, force me almost to, to bring myself into my selling. And there was a big shift there in terms of how I felt and how I sold. Um, so I don't have a, a, you know, a profound guess, except for the fact that showing parts of ourselves um, that are not polished and put together can feel scary. And it's been discouraged, oh, I would say, up until only the last maybe five years with Brene Brown or something, you know. Um, but I think the most enlightened leaders and the most enlightened companies are becoming hip to the fact that we need to make space for more of the entire human being, you know. In Which means that... Still, though, the the majority of us are not operating with or around the enlightened leaders. And, and I think of the experience that you have with psychological safety for the first time with that sales leader. I Mine was with a, a department head, right? He was not the sales, my sales manager. And I was brought into the unit by him. But I... I never, I've never experienced that in a selling capacity. And in fact, like the, the further that we as a team moved from that business leader and moved more towards the traditional sense, the less safe it became. Of course. So I guess like, what would you say to sales bosses that are, want to be a part of the enlightened leader crew 
but are maybe still a little bit afraid of letting go of a degree of control on what they know to be true about how to control revenue and you know inject more humanity into the culture like what what would you say to that person so not to and i have to name him greg davidson is this is the is the heroic sales leader we've been talking about but very practically and tactically i mean we could have a whole conversation around around some of these ideas amy but you know, something that he did during our first one-on-one, I remember he both asked me about my goals as a human being outside of the organization and made it clear that if he could play any role in helping me to achieve those, even if it meant moving on from the team, he would want to do that. So that was like an instant, like he telegraphed, I want, like, I see you, I want to see you, I want to hear you, I want to help you as a person. And he always incorporated into our one-on-ones an agenda item where he was open to hearing what he could do better. Wow. Wow. Jesus Christ, Jordana. That is incredible. Um, I so know do that. A- yeah. <laughs> do wow. that, people. Yeah. Okay. You have a hard step. Like I, I, uh, there, I forgot, not I forgot, but I wanted the, this prospecting with or empathy based selling empathy based or, June, or empathy based prospecting yeah. right so i know you have an event coming up on the 9th yeah june 9th and actually uvaro the sales school is sponsoring it which is quite uvaro. cool so, so yeah. what i mean do you want to do a quick little blurb about that or do you have to run oh i literally i literally you, have to run so here's right, so here's better, what i'll say here's what i'll say but so often when we think about prospecting we are thinking about like our cadences and our activities and and the number of touches that it's going to take to make contact with our prospect and we very and we, and we also focus when we reach our prospect by phone or by email on selling them in that moment. But part of, and this is just a piece of what I talk about in empathy-based prospecting, is that if we're able for just one moment to empathetically step into the shoes of our prospects at the moment that they receive our correspondences or pick up the phone, we very easy realize, intuitively know that they are in no psychological or emotional state to buy in that moment. Yet, we are pushing in that moment more often than not to sell. But there are other things that we need to do using empathy as our guide in order to prime our buyer to get to the point where they are both you know, emotionally and psychologically ready to be open to a conversation. And a big part of what the workshop does is gives us the kind of intuitive awareness and also some tools to meet our prospect where they are to have better, more effective conversations and plant the seeds for more fruitful relationships. Oh my gosh, I love it. I'm going to talk about that and as I believe before and after, but okay. One piece of advice to our listeners about uncomfortable conversations. What would, what say you? I would say have them and preface that with this, when you're having this conversation, if you feel discomfort, say it, name it. And that's going to change the entire dynamic. This is really hard for me to say, or I got to say, I've been really nervous as I've been thinking about having this conversation, but and that's kind of what Jeff said. There you are leading with vulnerability in that moment and watch the dynamic of the conversation shift. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm sorry that we didn't get to talk about the um, practice lab. It's okay. We'll talk again. There may or may not be something linked to the, in the show notes, but I'll, I'll grab that session. And I know you've got shit to do. I do as well. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Okay. Bye, Amy.
Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, truth, love, and joy, friends, happy selling. And also thank you for sharing some time with us today. Bye. Man, that was heavy, but necessary, you know, important, important stuff being thrown around. Virtues that we as humans can build a sturdy foundation on. I heard words like trust. I heard words like action. I heard words like consistency. And uh, I think this is important, but I, I also live in the real world, right? Where I trust that the action Amy didn't take was to consistently feed the dog or file her legal disclaimer paperwork from all the unnecessary risks she takes on a weekly basis. Karen is gonna be pissed. Karen! All right, friends. The only way this works as a hotline is if we find some people to come play. Anybody who's interested or brave enough or desperate enough, because let's be serious, that's where it's at. Everything you need to know is in the show notes. Yeah, call, absolutely. Call in. Don't have enough to do? You want a couple of books to read? Maybe we can boss you around for a couple hours? Yeah, please. By all means, call. If you like what you're hearing or are excited for this shit show and where it's going to go, definitely follow us on whatever podcast device is your preference, even though I, I seriously have a hard time identifying with anything non-Spotify, but you know, I guess I'll come to terms with that. If you find any value in things that we're talking about, do tell a friend. I consider that the highest honor. Of course, there's always the public review of any kind, although part of me thinks that I should not ask that until we're out of beta. Just a note for our sponsors from Karen and Pete down in Legal. We are anxious to receive your call. And if you are looking to help or join the cause or create change in a positive way, Please reach out to anyone but me because I have enough to do. And Amy will definitely be interested in taking your money to help more people, which is what we do here. You know, stuff. Legal stuff. You know, it's pretty crazy. I still can't believe people listen to shit I say. Yeah, like there, there's certainly a kernel of truth somewhere in there, but you know, it's, it's just, it's wrapped up in a story. Order the dog food, Amy. Order it. Chewy.com. Possible sponsor. Lola, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, baby. I love you. Here, take some pets. Come come sit up on my lap. I don't know about you listeners, but I enjoy my podcast on Stitcher. I mean, I don't have a premium account because I'm holding out for sponsorship. Hey, Stitcher, looking at you. Also, I believe we mentioned Chewy, so there will be a link to them in the show notes, even though we are not sponsored by them, and I bought my dog food at Target this week because it was on sale and I saved on shipping. All right, friends. Thank you for listening to the conversation. For more ridiculousness, check out the extended cut of the outro. And that's a wrap. I can't. I can't. I can't. So... This is Pete, your disclaimer specialist, coming to you at the super secret disclaimer portion of the show because this is a pod about transparency and 
difficult conversations and with everyone being so open and honest um i must be so here goes um as the outroer to the outroee i'm sorry i apologize you know i i misled you intentionally as your attorney i must confess that i am not a fucking attorney um i have not passed the bar exam in the state in which i live i uh, have never represented anyone well in anything let alone in a court of law um but again these are difficult conversations that were amy's having with with her guests and and i lied and i should tell you that i should be open and honest because you know we have been so we can all be better we can all do better together and now i'm just rambling at this point it's just who cares it's an outro right like this is just gonna fade into blackness like the Mars rover, maybe a little bit less sad. That was fucking sad. Oh, let's not be that sad. Come on, guys. We can do better.